Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of 18 in Life, the Pac-12 Hoops podcast. My name is Jeff Newsom. I'm here with my co-host, Seth Colin, and, and one guy whose voice you won't hear, but is oh so important to our podcast is uh, Jeff Collier. He's our producer. He does all the behind-the-scenes work on the on the mixing and editing and all that stuff that saves us time. And and Seth, I don't know how uh, – it's Tuesday morning as we record this. I don't know how your week's going so far, but my week has been interesting. I was on jury duty yesterday. Oh, boy. Yes. And, and wouldn't you know it, I actually got selected for a jury on my first day. Oh, man. Which – okay, so I get selected on this jury, and it's a, it's a, it's a DUI case. And, and the thing is I really don't want to be selected for a jury because I have um, – Grades, dude. That for those of you that don't regularly listen to the podcast, I'm a I'm a high school teacher by day. I don't I don't get the podcast. This is not the this is not what I get to do for a living, unfortunately. Talking about so basketball, sad. I know. I know. About that. I know. I need to. I need to. I need to figure out a way to do that. But anyway, so so I'm a teacher by day, and and I've got grades due tomorrow, and I've got a stack of essays, like literally, and I'm an English teacher, which was really stupid on my part, but but that's what I am. And so I've got a stack of essays, like six inches tall, to get through. And so I'm thinking, well, if this jury duty is anything like my last jury duty, I'm just going to end up sitting around this jury room for hours and hours and hours and have tons of time to grade, which is great, right? Like first thing in the morning, I get called into a pool. And so I end up up there and I get, I'm getting asked questions. And last time I was in a, I heard it was a DUI case and I thought, oh, perfect. Last time I was in a DUI case, they dismissed me because my wife was hit by a drunk driver like, you know, seven years ago or something like that. And they were figured I'd be prejudiced or whatever. And so, you know, so they asked the same questions again during, during jury selection. And, and so I answer the same way again. And, and, uh, anyway, so I, I, I'm like, great, I'm in the clear. And then I get picked and I'm like, what, what in the world? And so then I end up, Starting the case, and I'm like, great, so I can't, I don't have time now, I'm not going to be able to grade, you know, I don't think they're going to let me grade papers while the jury's going on, so, or while the trial's going on. So I'm in there, sitting there listening to this, and we listen to like three hours of testimony, including like this this 20-minute long video of like nothing, of him being like, Quasi interrogated in the in the in the in the police station, and so three hours go by, and the judge says, "Let's take a recess." I'm figuring like, okay, we everybody needs to pee or something, and so we go into the jury room, and about twenty minutes, we've been there for about twenty minutes. About twenty minutes later, the judge comes in and declares a mistrial. Huh. And I'm like, I'm like, what? You know, I'm like, now I'm kind of pissed, right? Because I'm like invested, you know. It's like, it's like a, it's like somebody turning off the movie, like, you know, it's a yeah. two hour, it's a two hour movie that somebody turned off after an hour and a half, and now I'm like, I kind of, you know, I'm watching, I've, I've been watching how this, uh, how this defense attorney is trying to build his case, and you know, the the prosecutor who was kind of, you know, bumbling, and I'm just kind of like, I want to see how this thing ends, and now I don't get to find out how it ends, and oh, weird. so yeah, so I'm kind of disappointed. But I didn't tell you why they had a mistrial. No. Oh, no, they didn't. Well, they said there was there was some kind of evidence that wasn't supposed to get in that did get in. So then I started thinking uh, about like was there was there some sort of like overly prejudicial evidence that you know I've watched enough Law and Order I kind of know you know what, right. what causes that stuff. So yes, huh. Law Law and Order makes everybody an expert. So um, so yeah, it was it was weird, but um, but interesting. So I don't know. I, I imagine most people have a pretty good jury duty story. That that is mine so far. But the last time I did it, I, I didn't even. Get anything that interesting, but now I'm like I'm, I'm kind of curious what happened. So anyway, so I have no idea how I'm going to segue that into Pac-12 basketball, other than to say, let us sit in judgment I, on the yes, past week of let games. us in judgment. Uh, maybe we can find somebody who would like us to declare their game a mistrial. 
Oregon might like us to declare their game at Colorado a mistrial that's and, true. and start that's over. True. I don't know. Um, I did not actually see the said controversial ending to that game. Um, Colorado has did go two and zero again with a with a somewhat controversial end of their game against Oregon. So maybe Seth, you can sort of cover that for anybody who might have missed that. Yeah. So uh, Oregon uh, was shooting free throws, uh, had tied the game up with. Uh, seven seconds left. Then uh, it was Ashley. He missed the second, and uh, and Colorado got the ball out very quickly um, and had a uh, basically a fast break, like one on one. It was t- Nate Tomlinson against DJ Singler, and Tomlinson's driving and going up for a lay-in, and Singler's in pretty good position, and he comes down with his left hand and knocks the ball loose for sure. Um, from Tomlinson as Tomlinson goes up to shoot it with, you know, hardly like a second left uh, and the ref calls a foul. It'll look pretty clean, but at the same time, you know, anytime you bring your arm down on a guy shooting a lay-in, you know, there's a pretty good chance the refs, I mean, that's, that can be close to an automatic call unless it's really, 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 really obviously clean and it wasn't. So, you know, I mean, the Jets were upset and it's, you know, I on replay it looked like it wasn't the greatest call in the world, but... You know, if you're singular, you're 6'8", you know, stand straight up, put your arms up, you're in good position, you know, and, and, uh, I, I think, I think it was, you know, Oregon has, I don't, you know, you can never blame the rest for losing a game, but in that case, it wasn't like some awful blocking call or some crazy thing. It was a, you know, it was a pretty legitimate call, probably just, you know, he may have gotten, you know, a couple bit, inches of wrist or something like that. Um, but Oregon, Colorado, Wins again, seven and zero at home now. Yeah, and that's that is sort of a uh, you know kind of a a fascinating development. You know, I mean, and I think it's worth revisiting that we, you know, Colorado before the season started, Colorado was assumed by many, Tenth including in the yeah, conference. Yes. Yeah, Assumed by many, including myself, to be a terrible team, and uh, and it's pretty obvious they're not that. Um, no. You know, the only the only three games they've lost in conference now they're eight and three. Um, the only three games they've lost in conference now are road games at Cal, Stanford, and UCLA. Um, two of those games have been blowouts, and, and by the way, those are on the road. Two of those games have been blowouts. Um, one of them was was reasonably close. The game against Cal, they were sort of within striking distance the entire game, and then and then fell apart at the end. But um, yeah, you know, I'm finding this kind of fascinating. And 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 I ran across this this really interesting piece from Ken Pomeroy um, earlier this week, and, and you know, we we referenced Pomeroy's stats. Um, quite a bit around here, and 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 uh, he wrote a piece for ESPN Insider on um, the myth. He calls it the myth of home court advantage. And you know, most people assume home court advantage to be the place where the fans are really crazy or really raucous, and um, you know, people associate that with places like you know Cameron Indoor Stadium and Fog Allen Fieldhouse, and you know, places like that. And you know, as it turns out, the places that the the top ten, the list of the top ten is actually fairly nondescript, which is Utah Valley, Alabama, Arkansas, Denver, Virginia Tech, Ohio, Marshall, Indiana, Hawaii, Mississippi State. His methodology was he basically looked at a team's efficiency margin on the road and their efficiency margin at home, and I think he went back like five seasons maybe, something like that, or three seasons, um, but a pretty decent sample size, and and, that, and that's what he found. And, and 
you know, we won't, I won't bore you with sort of all of it, but the, the end conclusion is sort of interesting and made me think of Utah. He says, the lesson of this investigation is that while strong fan support surely has long-term benefits, the ultimate home court advantage on game day resides in thin air and long distances traveled. And it, it, cause it turns out that most of the, you know, the, the, the teams that tend to rank higher are teams that play at higher elevations and require a, a, a higher amount of travel, um, to get their more, more arduous travel. And, you know, as a, as a Cougar fan, that kind of also resonates with me in the sense that, um, you know, Pullman is such a remote, Outpost, it really does take a lot of effort for teams to get there. And you look at a place like Colorado, and it's not like, um, it's not like it takes a lot of effort to get there, but you know, you gotta, you gotta fly into Denver, and you know, that's not close by to, you know, most Pac 12 schools. Um, they play in thin air, they play in the mountains. Um, and so, yeah, it's, you know, it's gonna be, I think, sort of fascinating for me to, to watch how this, this Colorado home court advantage, um, you know, sort of develops or does not develop or whatever over, you know, kind of unfolds maybe over the next few years as, you know, does it, does it become the sort of thing where maybe it becomes a little bit mental with teams, you know, where, you know, playing the whole mile high thing becomes, becomes sort of an issue, you know? Yeah. I mean, he makes, I mean, you know, not only is Utah Valley number one of all that, but uh, he makes the point that there's 15 teams that have elevation above 4,000 feet. And, uh, 12 of those are top 100 in, in his method of figuring a home court advantage. And yeah, I mean, and also, you know, Colorado is, I guess, a, you know, pretty, as long a plane trip as you'd have, I, I guess, in the Pac-12, maybe Arizona to Washington. But, um, you know, we were talking earlier about how Oregon State got to play the Huskies, uh, when the stadium was practically empty because of, because of, uh, the Alamo Bowl wasn't empty, but there was, it was a smaller crowd because the Alamo Bowl, they got to play Wazoo and Spokane. And we thought, oh, you know, they'll get an advantage from that because the crowd won't be very loud and they lost both games. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, really, according to Pomeroy's methodology, it wasn't the crowd at all. It was, it was the distance that they had to travel and that they were in a weird place. Um, I don't think Spokane is very high, but uh, definitely no. Washington isn't. But yeah, Colorado. You know, I mean, I don't. It's hard to say. You know, they won. They're one and three on the road now, which is not a good mark. And you point out that they've lost to good teams. Um, and you know, they played one bad team. You know, see and beat them. Um, but they, you know, now they have to play uh, Arizona and air and at Arizona State um, and. Uh, you know, they should they should probably beat Arizona State. They they're just they've they've definitely like come out and and uh, and proven that they're a pretty decent team. One guy that's really stepping up for them is Eskia Booker, who's a freshman point guard. He's scored in double figures each of the last four games. Um, and they're pretty, you know, they have some weapons on offense for sure. Yeah, they do. And, and really Carlin Brown has sort of emerged as, um, you know, it was interesting looking at the team when, as we were coming into the year, the reason why I think people were sort of, you know, down on Colorado was, you know, they lose Alec Burke and Burks and that's a, uh, you know, obviously a, a lottery pick and really good player. And how do you replace that? And, you know, early in the year, they, they seem to be, sort of replacing it by committee. Um, lots of different guys. In fact, I think remember, I, I remember when I previewed Colorado when, when WSU played them, you know, a month and a half ago or whatever it was that, you know, I was sort of impressed by their balance. They had all these different, 
guys sort of using between 20 and 24% of possessions, um, which, which sort of is a whole lot of guys not really being go-to guys, but, but, but contributing. And, and now as I'm looking at it, you know, Carlin Brown and Askey Booker have both elevated into that major contributors category, which is greater than 24% of the possessions used. And, you know, for a guy to be considered, at least by Pomeroy's system, a a go-to guy, they got to be using above 28%. So they don't have anybody in that category yet, but the fact that sort of two guys have elevated themselves. The, all, the other three guys who were originally in that group was uh, Andre Robertson, Austin Dufault, and Spencer Dinwiddie. Um, those guys have all sort of maintained around 20, 21%. And so we got two guys that have kind of separated themselves. And, and Carlin Brown, being a senior, was a guy I think that a lot of people didn't expect maybe to uh, to, to become an impact player. And, and he's become um, a guy who, who has been immensely valuable to them. Um, he hits a lot of twos, but doesn't get to the free throw line a lot as a guard, which is sort of a strange phenomenon. You don't typically see that, but um, but he's a guy who is a shooter and, and can do very well as athletic. Um, you know, it's, it's been interesting to see that. And so, you know, as we look at Colorado, they you, you did point out, you know, they're going to Arizona, Arizona State. Um, they actually have five of their last seven games away from home. Yeah. So we do get to as find out. As do Cal and as do Washington. Yep, yep. And so, you know, three of the teams that seem to be um, in the mix for – for the conference title have, have a challenging road ahead and, and Colorado, but I, I don't know that, well, maybe Washington, you could, I guess you could throw into that category, but um, Colorado has demonstrated a stronger home court advantage perhaps than anybody else. So going on the road is going to be, um, is going to be interesting to watch. They, they do play Arizona on Thursday. So right out of the gate, they get to play a team. Now, Arizona thankfully has made me look really smart. <laughs> that, you know, last week I'm talking about, well, they might be undervalued and all these things, you know, the record doesn't match up with their efficiency margin. And I'm thinking, okay, I, you know, there's a potential for me to look really stupid here. Um, Arizona goes out on the road and sweeps the Bay area schools, which makes me yeah. look pretty smart. So I'll go ahead and take a bow. Yeah. Well done. Well yeah. done. Yeah. Um, did you get to watch either of those games? Uh, I believe I watched part of the Cal game, although it did not make, or maybe it was the Stanford game. Either way, it didn't make a huge impression on me for whatever reason. Um, yeah. You know, I know I watched the Stanford game, and it was again with Stanford. You know, they just, they just, uh, they go into these huge slumps where they just cannot score. Um, for I think they shot twenty nine percent in that game or something, just awful. I mean, they just. You know, they're just so limited on offense, what they can do. I mean, and and Arizona, you know, was able to kind of just, you know, slowly pull away from them. Yeah. And and the Cal game was notable, of course, for uh, Jorge Gutierrez getting kicked or not kicked by um, an assistant coach for, for Cal or for Arizona. I mean, um, Pasternak, I don't know. I don't know if you saw the video of that as well. No. Um, I was I was inclined to call it a kick personally. Um, it just kind of the look on Pasternak's face like he, he's got this like get the bleep off of me. OK, so so to recreate. So Jorge Gutierrez, if for anybody who didn't see it. Real quick, um, he's going after a loose ball, falls into the Arizona bench, and then um, you can't really see it very well on on the TV video. Uh, but it, it appears that one of Arizona's assistant coaches um, kicks him as he's as he's sort of laying on the bench, and and Gutierrez, of course, kind of loses his mind, and you know, he feels like he was intentionally kicked, and That's and all this stuff. Weird. Yeah, <laughs> it, but you know, as I'm watching it, you know, I'm, I'm watching it, and I'm thinking. That that looks a lot like a kick. And then when you look at his face, like I said, his his face has got this look like, 
what, what do you do? Get the F off of me. And it's like, it's like, wait a minute, you know? And so they issued an apology about 24 hours later saying, uh, Saying, you know, that, that it was, that it was an, an unfortunate reflex action. And it was just like, really, that's the best excuse you could come up with. But, um, but yeah, yeah wow. it was, it was sort of interesting. So anyway, yeah, it's, and, and Arizona, but back to Arizona and why they've, why they've been successful. And, and Cal, I think you can, you can sort of say the same things about Cal that you said about, about Stanford. I mean, even though their offense is better, you know, they are for whatever reason sort of prone to these, to these, scoring droughts and difficulties and, and hard time putting the ball in the basket. And so, um, you know, Cal ends up losing that game to Arizona, a close game down the stretch, but, uh, you know, really, you know, really good, interesting game. And I think, I think what is, um, sort of turning me, what, what I, what I, no, I'm trying to think how I want to say is, you know, what's selling me on Arizona right now is that number one, they defend. They defend like crazy. They are really, 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 they, they, they defend harder than anybody in the conference right now. And, yeah. and I don't know if that's totally fair to a team like, say, USC, because USC does defend hard. They just can't really defend anymore because they've lost so many pieces. But Arizona, with the pieces they've got, the effort they expend on defense, um, how sound they are within that defense, uh, they they defend harder and better than anybody else in the conference. And right now it appears that their offense is more or less really coming around. And and that is that is a good development. Now, they've lost Kevin Parham. Uh, for the season again, the guy with the worst luck perhaps in the history of ever. But you know, they uh, Josiah Turner is is coming around. Nick yeah, Johnson, he's is a lot still, yeah, and and so they seem to be getting more contributions from the guys that were expected to step up early in the season. And even though they still are sitting there with five losses. Um, you know, two wins against Cal and Stanford with, uh, with games, lots of games at home still to go, uh, down the stretch. They, I believe they play four of their last seven at home, which, you know, is, is certainly a benefit. They got Colorado, as we said, coming in. They got Utah. They still play USC so, and they still play Arizona State away. So, you, you know, you figure those are three wins. Yeah. You know, then, then they go, you know, then they go to, um, you know, they go to Washington State and Washington, and, and that Washington be, game is going to be a big one. I think it's more likely than not that Arizona's tied for the conference lead at the end of this weekend. Yeah. Maybe not tied. Maybe at least they're – I think almost assuredly they'll be one game back. But I think – actually tied is not out of the is not out of the, the possibility either. But I think they'll gain a game this week for sure on whoever. And, um, and – um, yeah, they they look pretty set up. They're they're playing a lot better. You know, it's interesting about that game. Just looking at the box score, is that Solomon Hill had six points and took five shots, uh, which there's no one on Cal that could really guard him. So my guess is that they, you know, again I didn't see the game, but I feel like they must have been kind of really focusing on him, double teaming him, and that's what let everyone else be open. I don't know. Yeah, but that's odd. After, yeah, you know, after he scored like thirty against the Huskies, then he comes back and only takes five shots. He played thirty minutes. It's not like he was out of the game, but um, oh, you have five fouls. Maybe he did foul out. Maybe he was in foul trouble. But but yeah, yeah. So if if Arizona is 
possibly tied for the lead at the end of the weekend. That necessarily means that Washington Washington would lose both games. Washington would have lost both games, and it sounds like you're you're almost resigned to the fact that that Washington's going to split. Now they go on the road to Oregon and Oregon State, so maybe talk a little bit about those two games and and you know Washington, you know, getting the getting the home sweep of of UCLA and USC. Um, not shocking on USC, but winning a a nice game against UCLA and, and to to ascend to uh, the uncontested lead. Well, I would I don't know about nice game against UCLA. I would call it a horrifying game against UCLA. I was watching uh, with my girlfriend here, and uh, I uh, the Huskies. If you didn't see the game, were turning the ball over a lot, and she was getting mad because she was like, "You keep cursing every two seconds," and I said, "Don't play me." Blame the guards on the Huskies. It's not my fault. Um, it was torture. Um, and I ended up actually fast-forwarding through most of this second half because I literally could not mentally take it anymore. But um, that is right when I decided to do that. Is when, is when, and it was a lot of, you know, like UCLA is not, you know, a team that uh, that uh, goes after a ton of turnovers, but the Huskies were just kind of throwing the ball all over the place, and it was, it was ugly. Um, but then Terrence Ross decided to get extremely hot and uh, and the Husky defense clamped down on UCLA, and um, they were down 10, I think, with about, gosh, I think they were down 10 with about 14 minutes to go or something like that, and they were able to come come back. Ross hit a ridiculous three-pointer with about a minute left, and um, the Huskies beat UCLA again at heck yeah. I think UCLA hasn't won there since 03 or something like that. Yeah, and it's becoming like this this crazy dichotomy. So so they haven't won at heck Ed since like 03, but they also haven't lost in Pullman since 1993. So right. go figure yeah, <laughs> on so that it's, one. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's incredibly weird. Um, you know – my take on that was UC, that that game had as much to do with UCLA just sort of completely melting down for whatever reason yeah. as it did with Washington. I don't know. As as a Husky fan, are you are you encouraged or terrified by the thought that basically you can chalk up two wins in your conference schedule at home directly to Terrence Ross going crazy? Of course, the UCLA game and the Washington State game. Well, I mean, you know. I guess better to have Terrence Ross go crazy and win than to not have Terrence Ross do anything and lose. I, it's you know it's Ross and Roten are an interesting two guys to have on your team because neither of them are you know they're extremely extremely efficient with the ball no matter what like they don't have to be like working off screens they don't have to really be doing anything if you just give them the ball they can score um, better than anyone else in that situation better than, I mean, I think probably any other players in the whole league, but there's only one ball at a time. So, you know, it doesn't really, I don't know that it really, you know, you don't really know which of those guys to, you know, is going to get hot or which one to really, you know, kind of rely on. And Ross sometimes, if Roten's on the floor, Ross doesn't really get to do kind of his thing. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's always odd, but, I mean, I was heartened by the fact that, you know, USC is really, 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 really bad, but the Huskies do seem to have a hard time with them, and they were able to pull away in that game. Um, these two games against Oregon and Oregon State, and they should be, at the very least, they're going to be entertaining games. I mean, these are two teams that um, Oregon State plays at a super fast pace. Um, we're into this part of the schedule where you're playing the teams that you've played before. Um, you know, that Oregon State game on Sunday is going to be really high scoring, so I recommend that you check that out. And Oregon, you know, is not... You know, not a fast, super fast team, but they're not a really slow team either. So, um, so that game's going to be uh, played at a good clip too. And 
I, you know, I think the Huskies, they beat both those teams pretty handily when they played them. And I think it has to do with the fact that, you know, those teams kind of like to run a little bit and the Huskies are better at it, but everything changed. It's going to change on the road, I think. Uh, and, um, and I wouldn't be, you know, extremely upset if the Huskies lost both of those games. I think that's totally within the realm of possibility. And, um, they set themselves up pretty well at nine and two. So hopefully they could, you know, that would, you know, kill everything. Yeah, and, and you know, and Pomeroy puts that game as as essentially as a coin. Both those games as a coin flip. Yeah. Um, Oregon, especially, you know, he puts it at forty nine percent. He is chalking it up at, to Oregon, but I mean, that's a that's a coin flip. And then, you know, he says basically Washington has uh, only about a forty percent chance of of beating Oregon State, which you know I don't you know forty percent is is essentially in the coin flip range as well. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. Um, you know, Washington has had I think a little bit of good fortune. You know, so I, I kind of pointed out on Twitter, you know, a lot of Husky fans were crowing about beating uh, UCLA coming back, and I felt like there was a certain amount of, I, I want to say luck in the sense that, you know, they got lucky because they didn't. I mean, Terrence Ross was spectacular and, uh, you know, whatever, but they were certainly the beneficiaries of a, 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 a very nice UCLA meltdown. Um, but, you know, at the same time, so I was kind of like, you know, they, you know, they kind of got a little bit fortunate and so maybe that luck is is you know potentially going to turn around at some point. But then you know Kevin Pelton, um, who we both know from Basketball Prospectus, uh, points out that perhaps this is maybe um, that luck flipping back the other direction for close losses at Nevada, right. in New York to Marquette, and then also at home to Cal. Um, those were all close losses, and so Nevada, uh, which was a kind right. Of- yeah, and so winning a couple of close games at home isn't necessarily the, uh, you know, or uh, sorry, the, the game at Arizona was on the road, but but winning a couple of close games might be things, you know, flipping, you know, the 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 regression pendulum maybe flipping back the other direction for the Huskies. I don't know. It's you know, it's, it's going to be interesting. I, I I have I have such a hard time buying into these Huskies because I don't feel like they defend the way Romar's teams normally defend, and I and I think that's going to be an well, issue on the road. So I mean, against UCLA, they they were able to really. You know, clamped down pretty well there in that second half, and they, you know, they, they, uh, at times, they defend really well. They don't have that same, you know, and the one thing that they lack that the, the Romar teams have had in the past few years is they don't have that harassing on-ball defender that, you know, that can really just, you know, is a threat. To, I mean, Roten, you know, is a threat to steal the ball, but. You know they they don't want him. He's he hasn't really learned when to do that exactly, and they don't want him getting in foul trouble. So he's not you know up there like Benoit Overton was, like up in guys' faces, uh, you know disrupting the offense. And they don't you know and and Abdul Gaddy, who's probably you know is is slow. He's not a very good on ball defender. So they're missing that. Luckily they have Enjai in the middle, but I think you know. They're, they've got a lot of guys who are kind of learning to play defense. Terrence Ross is so much better than he was last year, but last year he was pretty bad. Um, and, uh, you know, you see usually when they get a few years in Romar's program, I mean, look at how Isaiah Thomas progresses as a defender. I mean, he's playing in the NBA now and, like, getting legitimate minutes because he learned from his freshman year, you know, how to how to really be a good defender. So I think they're learning that, and I think as the year's going on, they're getting better at that. Um, but... Um, but yeah, I mean, they, you know, they, they don't have a lot of, with Oregon State's high, really high powered offense and, and, 
you know, Arizona has has some weapons, so they'll they'll have to, you know, Oregon has some pretty good weapons too. So, um, but you're not seeing as much of the just complete and utter breakdown nightmares like you did early in the season against South Dakota State and against Colorado. Like they're getting, they seem to be getting better. Yeah, they do, and and that was sort of the thing that that I, you know, that I pointed out when I was looking at the efficiency margins and said maybe it doesn't match up, but you know that's that's really good news for Washington because they do tend to get better, they do tend to improve under Romar. That's that's one thing that's sort of a sort of a signature element of his program, and uh, you know they they also play five of their last seven on the road, which we mentioned, um, which means they self travel Oregon, Oregon State. Still have to travel to UCLA. Still have to travel to Pullman, which is a place that um, that they've had difficulty winning from time to time. They did lose in Pullman last year, but then again, the Cougars had Clay Thompson last year, so <laughs> yeah. So we'll Changes just everything. yeah, it's a it's a little uh, slightly different team that they're facing over there yeah. um, in Pullman. Uh, you know, I don't know if you know if we've got. I mean, let's let's take five minutes and maybe wrap this up. But sure. um, you know, maybe let's talk about UCLA for just a sec. Um, you know, this is a team that that was kind of seemed to be in prime position to, um, you know, perhaps maybe jump up into the conference title conversation. And you know, at this point now, they 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 lose to Washington, which was sort of a critical game that they needed to win in that respect. Nearly lost to Washington State was was the beneficiary of some uh, some. I don't know. Like, I, I don't want to sound like a like a whiny fan. Like, like we got job by the refs because I don't think that was really totally the issue. But they they did receive the benefit of some of some borderline calls. I guess I would say that allowed say Josh Smith to stay in the game maybe five minutes longer than he should have. They are one one interesting thing about UCLA is that they are um, without Travis Ware for the moment. I don't know if he's back this weekend or not. Um, he did get a high dreaded high ankle sprain. Um, mm. they, they really missed him against WSU. He is. Um, they really need sort of all those offensive weapons to make this thing work. And um, had they played a better defensive team, I think they would have struggled to score even more than they did. I mean, to to, to score under 1.0 points per possession against Washington State sort of takes a, a really uh, special effort of offensive ineptitude. So, although it does seem like with with wear out, it's forced Josh Smith back into the lineup, and he's in those two games. Uh, against Washington, Washington State. I mean, he was much better than he's been all year. 24 points against Washington, 19 points against Washington State. Um, I think both of those are highs for the, yeah, those are his two highest scoring games in conference play this year. I mean, conference play in which he hasn't, he's only once played about a couple times in his most minutes as well. So, you know, it could, I mean, uh, you know, like you said, their efficiency wasn't that great. Although I would, you know, it wasn't really Smith's fault. Um, but I mean, if they can get him going, and then they get Ware back, all of a sudden you've got that team that everyone was thinking. Well, except for Reese Nelson, obviously. But you've got that team that everyone was thinking about. They've already got the best-rated offense in the in the Pac-12. So, um, yeah, I, I think I, I think they are in pretty good shape. But uh, I think. You know, there's two tough games for them this weekend against Stanford and Cal. Uh, and, I mean, if Cal feels like at home to Cal, you feel like if they've got any chance of kind of sticking in the conference race at least, which is a long shot, they've got to have that game for sure. Yeah, I think I think that's that's pretty that's pretty obvious at this point. Um, is there – did you see anything interesting from anybody else farther on down the standings? Um, you know, I, I think Stanford's sort of slide into irrelevance is – 
is uh, somewhat interesting, but we did touch on them a little bit earlier. Um, Oregon State was a team that you liked to maybe make a little bit of a surge in the second half, and that oh. that did not happen. <laughs> well, at least they beat Utah, but yeah, they got just absolutely killed by Colorado, and once again, you know, their defense is just, they just can't seem to get it done. Um, uh, you know, uh, you know, you'd think at some point they'd really, ugh, but you know, Colorado. I mean, Colorado's good on defense, and it's a tough road game. And I, you know, I didn't get to see that game, but they lost by 22 points, so that's not a good sign. They've got to beat the Huskies this weekend, um, and they've got to sweep that at home. And there's no question about it. Uh, well, I don't know. I say they've got to, but that's kind of ridiculous because really, they're. I think they've lost enough games in conference that they're out of that large conversation, no matter what happens. Even though they were looking like the most likely at large team, maybe them and Stanford. Uh, which, whoops. So. Um, yeah, I think it's all about making sure they're, you know, getting into the, if they can try to sneak into that top four to get a bye in the tournament, I guess that's what their season's all about now. And I think to do that, they'll have to be Washington. So that's a big game for them. It should be a very entertaining game with both teams playing at such a fast pace. Yeah. And, and I, th- I guess maybe a good place to wrap this up is do we, do we see any, more than one Pac-12 team making the tournament. This has sort of been the off and on conversation all year. Uh, Joe Lunardi seems to, I believe, in the latest, his latest projections have three in. Three! I know. Which, you know, I, I take that for what it's worth. I, Lunardi's not exactly the most, um, among people who, who follow sort of, you know, bracket nicks, if you want to call them that, um, you know, he's not generally considered the most accurate or reliable source. Um, he generally does okay at the very end, but kind of along the way, it's, it's, he's sort of ridiculous. Um, but well, I mean, I, I did, no one's picking the tournament along. Sure. The way, so sure. And I, and I get that, but I thought, you know, he did, I mean, his, his thing is like, who would be in today? Right. And other people look at, you know, who actually will get in at the end. So his like, you know, along the way bracketology, I mean, heck, you know, yeah. pick 64 teams throughout the season. You sure. should probably have like a hundred different teams in that. But, you know, Arizona's, you know, you know, 16 and 8 overall now, and they're, you know, they're, they've won a couple, they just, you know, had a couple good wins, really, um, beating at, winning at Cal and at Stanford. So, I mean, I can, I can see that, and I can definitely see, you know, again, it's always a matter of, you know, what, what happens in the Horizon League Championship or something like that, but, um, but yeah, I think, you know, any team with, you know, 20 wins and a winning record in the Pac-10 historically has made it into the tournament. And obviously the league's down this year, but you do see, you know, we've got five teams with 16 wins right now with seven conference games left. Um, and I, I would think that three of those teams will probably end up with pretty decent looking conference records and pretty decent looking overall records and, you know, win a couple of games against half decent teams and get them in. Um, but I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. You know, it's, I found it interesting that he did put Arizona and I just, I don't look at their resume and see, uh, see a tournament team right now. I see, I see a team that could, you know, yeah. if it goes on a strong run, but I don't, I don't see it right now. So I'm not sure what, what he really saw there, but, but I do know from looking at a number of other, um, a number of other sites who, if you, if you've ever been to, uh, I don't know if you've ever been to the bracket project. Um, it's like bracket bracketproject.something.com. There's something in the middle. But anyway, they, they, they've been tracking 
all these different sites that do NCAA bracket projections and, and Lunardi actually scores, you know, when you look at like a three and a five year track record, he actually scores pretty low. So I tried to look at like some of the top four guys who have scored mm-hmm. the top four or five over the last few years. And, and, and they generally, they all have Cal in, whether Cal wins the conference or not. Right. And that wins the automatic berth or not. And they all have, um, Washington either barely in or sort of barely out. So it it says to me, and then Arizona was sort of nowhere to be found on any of those other ones. So, you know, for whatever that's worth. But, you know, it is, I I do see a place where Arizona could play their way into the conversation. I do see that the problem is obviously that they lost all of their opportunities to win, you know, any, um, any, any decently big game. But I would think anybody sort of with a brain would be also be able to look at and say, hey, look, they, you know, they replaced the best player and one of the best players in the country and had a lot of freshmen. And so I don't know. It's, yeah, I mean, they, it's you know, they, they are wins. They're good wins for non-conference play are, you know, they're teams that you've heard of, but are not that great this year. When they beat Clemson, which is Palmer has ranked 91st. They won at New Mexico state, which is actually a pretty tough place to play. And they, you know, they're ranked 94th. They beat St. John's was not a very good team, but you know, they did have some non-conference wins against at least, you know, they lost to Florida in overtime at Florida. So that, you know, they, they lost by 11 to Gonzaga, although they were totally housed in that game. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I, I think, I think it's probably more looking toward, you know, the end of the year and are they going to be able to, you know, play in Washington, UCLA, Colorado, or are they going to be able to, to, uh, to come up with enough wins? But, but I wouldn't say three is out of the question. I don't think so either. I mean, we looked at last year. We we thought three was a stretch last year, and and conference ended up getting four. I and think one so, is probably very very unlikely. At this I would point. yeah, I would think so too. And and I think given, one's as likely as four at this point. I think so. And given given that it's it, by my estimation, there's about eight teams that could win the Pac-12 tournament. Um, that would seem to lend itself even more to the idea that. You know the, the the conference regular season champ gets in, and then probably um, you know whoever wins the tournament as well. So at, at the very least, so yeah. I don't know. Going to be interesting. Um, well, I think that basically does it for this edition of 18 in Life. Seth, thanks, and uh, we will join you next week. Thanks for listening, and we appreciate uh, you visiting us. And we will talk to you later. Bye.